0: Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc, on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about our church or to support us financially, visit newgrace.cc. Last week, last week, Pastor Derek dove in to the beginning of the end and we talked about some eschatology and this week we want to try to put a bow on that and work through a thought in the latter part of matthew chapter 24 um and uh it's really interesting because when we lead up to the text that we're going to read this morning jesus is talking to his disciples and he covers a lot of ground in matthew chapter 24 he talks about the great tribulation the coming of the son of man and he even gives us the parable of the fig tree and um Here's what I would tell all of you. Okay? And this this comes from me being a Bible nerd. I would encourage all of you to go back and read that text. Read it. Like read it, but make sure you do one thing when you read it. Don't read it from your perspective. Because that's what the American church is guilty of. We read everything from our perspective. So I'll make it really simple for you. This is something they taught us like the second day of Bible college. When you're reading your Bible, you need to ask some questions when you sit down to read it. You need to ask who, what, when, where, and why. You need to know those things when you're reading your scripture because what it's going to do is it's going to allow you to put it within the biblical context in which it was written so that it doesn't turn into capitalistic, consumeristic Christianity. That's just a, that's an appetizer what you're going to get today, okay? So, um, you know, Buckle up. So um, today, let's look at our text really quick. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 41. This is what Jesus says. He says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the son of man be. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to do my best today to stay on this platform because me and Pastor Derek have a, not a bet, because, you know, it's probably a bet. I'm going to do the best I can to stay on this platform, but I also want to expound and wax eloquently for a few moments about this thought. The days of Noah. That's what we want to talk about today, the days of Noah. So let's look at verse 37. It says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Thank you, Jared. I'm good. I didn't tear nothing up, praise God. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. This is a very clear and undeniable comparison that Jesus is making. Let's read it one more time just for the sake of reading it three times. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. If you want to know how things are going to be in the days of the coming of Jesus Christ, you need to go back to Genesis and look at the days of Noah. That's literally what Jesus is saying. It's going to be like that. And that's what it's going to be like. Like, here's some realities that characterized Noah's day. When you read Genesis 6, understand something. You're reading something that has so much theological depth that you will run right over things like crossing a railroad track and not even realize what you read. Okay? Like, I can only touch this because this could be a, this could be a, a 12-week class that I might teach later on in 2024, but in Genesis six, there's this thing that happens and, and, and the, and the writer, he just sort of skims over it really quick. It says that the sons of God took notice to the daughters of man. And then they went down and took the took wives of the daughters of men. And then they had children and these children, these children were a hybrid race. Now, I told you, I just got to skim this. Here's what happened. You had the sons of God who had been commissioned and placed by God to oversee creation. Okay? There's another term for them. They call them watchers. All right? And they were watching, doing their job. And then they saw the daughters of men and was like, oh, child. Hmm. And they went down and they took wives. What you see in the days of Noah is really simple. There was rebellion and depravity, and it started with this action between the sons of God and the daughters of man. It was a heinous act of rebellion against God because these celestial beings decided to go create their own image bearers. I don't have time to unpack this. God, I wish I did. Lord, maybe later. But they went down and had their own offspring. So now you have people, humans, who are created in the image of God and these other creatures that are created half in a human image and half in a divine image. And the Bible says that they were men of renown. There were giants in the land. This is where we get Nephilim from, all right? And the world starts to go down the toilet at this point. Literally, They've hit the the, the flapper, and it's spinning. All right? It's spinning. This became a God-rejecting generation because they had created their own gods. Paganism, worshiping Baal, the Baphomet, all these things, these were all aspects of what took place in Genesis 6 between the sons of God and the daughters of man. And you can go back and you can study it and it's gonna melt your brain, like I said, maybe later in this year, we'll unpack it and we'll go real in-depth and we'll just nerd out together and you know sit in a circle, crisscross applesauce and share our feelings. But I gotta move through this text, okay? It was a God-rejecting generation. Now, think about this. Look at the world we live in today, all right? Because Genesis 6 says a lot of other things. It says that man's thoughts were evil always, continually. Think about this. Think about our world. Like, if you turn the news on right now, there is chaos, corruption, and death everywhere. Everywhere. And it all goes back to people rejecting God. That's what it goes back to. There's anti-Semitism. There's persecutors of Christian. There's all kinds of things that are happening in our world. And this generation right now, this generation, current, current events, current news, us and them, is unaware and ignorant of coming judgment. We're just just ignorant of it. Jesus expounds on this in verse 38. He says, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. What is he referring to? Humanity, I want to come down on the floor so bad. I ain't doing it. Humanity is living like business as usual. You know, you know, you know one of the most interesting things about living in the time that we live in, everything that I'm responsible for, everything that I have to do, all of my meetings, everything that I have going on that makes up part of my identity and who I am is locked away in this thing right here. And let me lose this thing for about an hour. Right. Yep. Yep. Hot mess. Right. Express. Bad. Living like business as usual. He wasn't highlighting these things as a sinful debauchery. Right. Like, like, just stay with me. He was pointing to the lack of care towards the conditions of the world. Right. You see, the, um, the American church, this church, and every church in America, we get more focused on what we're doing what our facility looks like, the things that we have, the lights, the musicians, the singers, the preachers, the platforms, the chairs. Um, do we make sure we got connection cards in the back so we can get your information and spam your email? Like, we, we focus on all of that and we're not focusing on the conditions of the world because the church in its inception and design by Christ was meant to be a thing that brings life. Life, it's supposed to be help and hope. And, all, and, and, and we've over the last 2,000 years, we've evolved into this really gross thing that all it is is a production. It's just a program, and there's no power in it. No power. What would happen if you and I made a conscious decision this morning to just take a look at the world and ask a simple question? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Because there is a need for God in this community, in culture, in society. There's a need for God where you work. There's a need for God in your home. I don't care how holy you think you are. You have a need for God. You do, you need it in your home. I need it in my home. There's a need for God. and. That society in Noah's day, as well as this society we live in, has become very dismissive of God. Humanism and materialism are the centerpiece of most people's lives. I'm just doing me, baby. You know, it's me and McGee, baby. What's up? I got to get, have more, more, more all the time. I, um, I fell under a little bit of conviction a while back. Can I just talk to you for just a second? Let me, let me take a detour. So um, I, as a person, am accustomed to the finer things of life. I think it's obvious that you can look at me and tell. All right? I am. And God has blessed me and afforded me the opportunity to create a lifestyle of comfort and ease in most areas of my life. I've done this for a very long time. It wasn't always this way. It wasn't always this way. And I realized a while back that my focus was more on me and my presentation than it was on him and his word. That's what happened. And I took a five day period, just a five day period, and I got back to the basics. I just went back to the basics. Like, instead of praying about everything that's on that phone, in that reminders list, the calendar, the schedule, the meetings, the pressure, the stress, just praying for his presence. And let me tell you what happened. When I freed my mind up of what you think and how you feel, I freed myself up. I freed myself up. I told somebody a while back. I don't ever want to stand in front of a group of people and communicate the word and have a fear inside of me that says, I wonder if they got it. I wonder if they liked it. I'm going to be real with you, all right? I don't care if you like what I say. I don't do this for you. And that's where I missed the mark. And God brought me back to True North and said, you don't do that for them. You do this for me. And if you do this for me, then I will shine through you, and it will help them, and it will bless them. That's what humanism and materialism does to us, though. It It puts all the focus on us. There's no thought of God. There's no time for God. And let me tell you something. The the realest thing that I heard during that five-day period was God's like, I'm not going to compete with that. I'm not going to compete with your stuff. I'm not going to compete with your ego. I'm not going to compete with that. I am Alpha and Omega. I don't compete for anything. So you can choose this. Or you cannot. Look at verse 39. He said, And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I want you to understand something. I made a little note here. Mankind was this way for generations. This was not just verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, tidal wave. These are generations. This had been going on for a while to the point when God looked down, he was repented at the sight of man at the creation and he said i'm just going to have to destroy all of this and we are fast tracking right now in the day and time that we live in when you look at the current condition not just of the human race but of creation in its own we have effectively destroyed and polluted almost everything on this planet we kill each other willingly daily And we might not physically kill each other, but we kill each other spiritually, psychologically, mentally, emotionally. We're constantly comparing and judging and rating one another against one another. And then it creates fear and anxiety and separation in us. And what we don't realize is, is we're literally, we're literally, literally, literally caught in this trap here. And it's a generational thing. And if you and I don't have a realization of it this morning and we don't take a step forward to correct this, you're going to pass it down to the next generation. What's gonna happen? That's what happened in Noah's day. This was a thing that was handed down generation upon generation, and God finally said, I've had enough. Done. Let me let me see if I can paint the awful reality, hold on, of the flood for you. When Noah stepped on board the ark and God closed the door, it started to rain. Now, it says that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I don't don't want to go day after tomorrow on y'all and reveal my doomsday prepper side. But if you're going to flood the entire planet, 40 days and 40 nights of torrential rainfall probably isn't going to be able to flood the entire planet. Let 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 me just, I'll go there. It starts raining. And everybody who has doubted Noah thinks, huh. But before it started raining, when Noah went in there with his family and closed the door, they were probably like, that fool's really in there sitting in that boat. Like he's really in there. And then it starts raining and they're like, huh. And it rains for a couple days. And then all of a sudden the earth starts to tremble and quake and earthquakes occur in divers places. And it opens up the bottom and water begins to rise from the bottom to the top, and it's still raining. And then those earthquakes have happened, and now the platelets in the, in the, in the earth's crust begin to shift. And guess what happens in the ocean at the time? Because we know there was an ocean, because in Genesis it tells us that his face moved upon the waters of the deep. People are beginning to go to high ground. People are starting to look for safety and refuge. And all of a sudden, these earthquakes that they thought had passed, and now all this water is coming up out of the ground, and there's water coming down from the sky. And they look out upon the horizon, and they see wave after wave after wave after wave coming towards the shoreline. And before you know it, before you know it, people start getting swept away. Gone. 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 What's the most destructive natural force in the world? water water it's water it's water they thought he was a fool but can you imagine the horror and the panic of all those that doubted noah when it didn't stop raining when the water got to their waist and then it was to their chest and then they're trying to tread water they're doing the doggy paddle They're trying to get into boats. They're trying to climb up in trees. They're getting on mountaintops are doing everything that they can. And what they didn't realize is that God's judgment was not going to stop. That's what happens when you become dismissive and ignorant of God. You don't realize that judgment, judgment doesn't stop. It doesn't, man. It's really grim in here right now. It was happening just like he said it would like it's going to happen. Just like he says, it's going to happen. There's a majority of the world that was taken in judgment. But Jesus mentions Noah, and he reminds us of where he was during the flood. It says, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Noah and his family being in the ark teaches us that there will be a group saved from the flood of God's wrath and judgment in the last days. Because remember the correlation that Jesus makes here. He says, it is, it, As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the coming of the Son of Man. There's an obvious correlation between us in the last days and those aboard the ark in Noah's day. And I wanna show you the connection found in Genesis six and seven. Genesis six, verses 13, 14, and 18. said, and God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will, listen to this. This stuck out to me. He said, I will destroy them with the earth. I'm going to take this obscene image that you've created in disobedience and rebellion to me, and I'm going to take my creation to destroy that creation. Well, that's deep. We can't, we can't park there. So check this out. He says, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark and shall pitch it within and without pitch But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. First point. That was a long introduction, by the way. First point. What we see right here in the correlation with Noah is somebody was listening. In a world of deaf and dumb people, somebody was listening. Noah and those on board listened to God's warning and concerning let me read that again. Noah and those on board listened to God's warning concerning the coming judgment. They listened and they believed. There's a lot of people that believe. I'm just going to jump off this thing a minute. There's a lot of people that believe. There's not a whole lot of people that listen. You take a room of 100 people, you'll have 94 fools in there. Just like a bunch of turkeys. Sure enough, there's a bunch of people that believe because it's easy to say, I believe something. But when you start to listen, that's when you apply what you say you believe into action. You see, a lot of us have knowledge because the world is full of information now. So a lot of us are overloaded on knowledge and we think we're wise, but you see wisdom is the application of that knowledge. And most people lack wisdom. You got a head full of stuff and it's done got too big and you're walking around like this all the time. You just got information leaking out your ear and your nose, but you don't know what to do with it because you forgot to listen. Somebody listened. The world's deaf. They are deaf. They are blind and they are deaf. And the people who believe and listen are a very small minority. Very small. It's not about just hearing. It's not about just hearing. Like I hear so many people talk about, well, wow, I just I want to hear from God and I, and, and, and I want to listen just listen. Listen. It's about listening. Listening accompanied with belief is what normally leads to an answer and a resolution. God had Noah's attention. He said, hear my word, listen to my instruction. It's time to get it together. And when you look at the current events of today, that's what it's saying. You need to listen to what I'm saying. You need to follow these instructions. It's time to get it together. It's time to get it together. Because you're not going to be here forever. Even if I don't fold this thing up like a picnic table before you leave this planet, you need to get it together. Because everybody here is leaving one way or another. You don't stay forever, nobody's going to be here forever. I want you to understand something about the world today. No one, y'all ain't going to like this. I ain't going to get an amen. I'm going to stay up here. (laughs) No one wants to hear what your Bible says. What would happen if they saw it? What would happen if they saw what it said by how we live instead? When I came up in my 20s in Christianity, that was a very popular thing. Well, the Bible says, Brother Jeff, the Bible says. No reference, no scripture, no nothing. The Bible says, and most of it was false. Most of it was wrong. Most of it wasn't even biblical. Modern Christians say, the Bible says, while the modern world is watching to see if you really believe what you say through your actions, because when you're engaged with a lost person, they do not hear your words. They do not hear your words. They listen through what they see and experience because that's what the world teaches us to do. The world teaches us to learn through experience. It teaches us to investigate because we're all about knowledge and we're all about information. We have no inspiration, therefore we have no power. And as the church of the living God, we're supposed to have inspiration and power, and that comes through the way we live our lives. Yes, you need to read your Bible. Yes, you need to memorize scripture. Yes, you need to know what it says. But if you're going to go out here and you're going to reach a lost and dying world that that, that is destined for a lake of fire and eternal torment, you can't just walk in there hot like, hey, the Bible says, because they do not care. They don't care. We lost that two generations ago. Two two generations ago, the church messed that up, and there's no power in that anymore. So it's about you and I making a conscious decision to actually be what we say we are. Be what we say we are. And it starts by listening. By listening. Listening. Lord, what am I supposed to do? Lord, how am I supposed to handle this? God... I don't necessarily want to ask you for what I want. I want to ask you to give me what I need because I can't see around this curve. I don't know what's happening next. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the next encounter is going to be. I don't know what the next person is going to look like God. So I equipped me. Paul, Paul put it a little differently. He said, you need to put on your armor piece by piece with intentionality and in prayer every single day. Because whether you're walking through a college campus, you're walking through a factory, you're walking through a job site, you're walking through a restaurant, wherever you are, something should be different about you. Oh, that's not fair, Pastor Jeff. Well, you know what? It is what it is. It should be different. I'm not saying that you've got to go Andy Griffith show and be whistling and skipping with a fishing pole. But what I'm saying is, is that you should be equipped, you should be armed, and you should be ready. And it starts by listening because you've got to have that instruction first. The second point's really easy. It said somebody was laboring. Genesis 6, verse 22 says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. You know what would happen if 5% of this room applied that? (laughs) We would never have to go to a bank. We would never have to wonder what's going to happen after a certain date. We would never have to sit around and count beans and figure out how to make this happen on a shoestring budget. We would never have to wonder, are they going to get it? If 5% of the room said, God said to do it, here's i I'm going to go do it. I'm just going to go do it. I'm just going to go do it. And you see, the problem is, is that you need more than that. You need more than that. Like, I just need a little bit more, Pastor Jeff. Like, you're gonna have to give me a little bit more information. You're gonna have to give me a little bit more. No, look, look. Here's the deal. God told Noah, "Hey, here's the instructions. Here's the list of tools you need. Go do it." And Noah said, "Okay, okay." It was labor. Building the ark was labor. It was. Noah and those who would be on board labored diligently, and they built the boat. Like Noah, I want you to know what you're working with. I want you to know what you're working with. Noah was working with a team. It's a very small team. It's kind of a great illustration of the modern-day church. Lots of people, small team. Small team. He was working with a team. Together, they built something. Noah did not do this alone. This church and any other church will not come to the fullness of what Christ wants it to be if you're depending on a few people to do it. Right. It won't. Agreed. It'll be an unfinished project when he comes back. Right. Right. At New Grace, you don't labor alone either. You're working with family. And sometimes there's these tough love conversations that has to happen. And normally I get to do them. Hallelujah. (laughs) They're like, I don't like him. You're working with time. How long did it take to build the ark? Long time. 120 years. 120 years to build the ark. That is a grind, y'all. Can you imagine getting up every day for 120 years and going and picking up a mallet and a handsaw? Can you imagine doing that? Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine opening up this word every single day and nourishing your spirit and your soul and then praying for the people that God has entrusted to you and then walking in the fullness of who you are in the spirit and beginning to discover your gifts, your talents, and your abilities and not being afraid to be who God created you? Can you imagine that? That is a grind. It's a grind. You're not going to wake up every day and want to get in this. You're not going to wake up every day and want to pray. You're not always going to want to come to church. You're going to have plenty of reasons and plenty of excuses. And guess what? The grind, the grind, the grind is what guarantees that the project gets done. You and I were projects. Make no mistake. The ark was a vessel that was created to preserve creation. And in the New Testament, you and I are vessels that carry the Holy Spirit around with us everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. Sometimes you're going to have to work without knowing the outcome. Noah knew the outcome, but I dare say he probably didn't think it was going to take 120 years. I figure like once they got the bottom of that thing built, he probably assumed that some people were going to be like, hey, do you need some help? Do you need some help? I'm looking for some part-time work. Do you need some help? Like, what does it pay? No, 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 no. You laugh, but that's how the church is too. That's how the church is too. You be over here, just 27 people over here. Like, good job, pastor. Looks good. Looks good. Looks good. So good. So good. Listen, sometimes you've got to struggle through adversity. Labor can be a grind when you're under attack. Noah didn't get any help because the people that should have been helping him were actually attacking him. They were actually attacking him. They were. Like every day they'd walk by his build site and they would mock him and ridicule him. They were trying to hinder the project. They were doing all these things. And you say, Pastor Jeff, you're adding to the story. No, no, no. Remember, humanism and materialism. Just remember that. Sometimes God's only going to give you instructions. Like maybe you're blessed and highly favored and God gives you instructions and he gives you everything you need. And then he does half of it for you. Never happened to me. Never happened to me. He said, hey, man, like I gave you some instructions. I gave you some instructions. The rest is up to us. God doesn't make boats. He makes trees. He makes trees. Noah and his boys had to build this ark. Because when you're doing something from, for God, you can't just hope it into existence. You can't. New grace can't just be hoped into existence. Your personal life with Christ can't be hoped into existence. You actually have to do something with what God has given you. Like Noah, know what you're working for. You want to have labor with an end in view. Noah's end in view was, he said it was going to rain, I believe it's going to rain. I believe it's going to rain mm-hmm. <clears throat> labor like you're building something that your family's counting on oh, that's good. and you can think about your immediate family but labor like your family's yeah. counting on it your family's counting on it because there are things that God has allowed me to sow that I will probably never see come to fruition And my faith is activated in knowing that if I diligently sowed that seed, God will bring somebody to water it. Somebody else will probably harvest it, more than likely. Like labor, like your family, is depending on what you're doing because they are. They are. Labor like what you're doing is going to make a difference. Labor like what you're doing is going to make a difference because it has to. It has to. We've been commissioned and called to love God first with all of our being, to love our neighbors as ourselves. but then commissioned to go. To go. And maybe your mission field is in your living room right now. Maybe it is. Maybe it's in the break room. Maybe it's down there in the gas station. Maybe it's at Walmart. But we've been commissioned to go. So you have to labor you have to labor like it's going to make a difference even when you don't see results, even when the project gets stuck, even when it slows down, even when you can't see the end in sight. Labor like it's going to make a difference because it has to. Noah labored like it was going to make a difference and in the end, it literally preserved creation. It preserved creation. What does God want to use you to preserve? Because there's something that he wants to use you to preserve. If you're honest, if you're honest, and I'm honest. Labor, labor is hard. It's really hard. It is. Because labor makes you tired. It makes you tired. Yeah. Now, let me explain something. There's, there, there's two things I want to hit right here. When I'm tired, that's a physical thing. Yes. That's a physical thing. But when I get weary, that's a spiritual thing. And when I'm tired and weary, that's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. And if I could just be real with you for a few minutes, I'm tired and I'm weary. I'm tired and weary. I am physically tired. I feel like we have a project that's never going to end. Ever. I'm tired of uncertainty. I'm tired of unanswered questions. I'm tired of wondering what's going to happen next. What if this? What if that? I'm tired. It physically makes me tired, but I'm spiritually weary. Mm-hmm. I'm weary. And I know you are too. Mm-hmm. I know you are. There's no, if, if I'm tired and weary, there's no way that you're not tired and weary. Some of you are driving just as far as I do, if not further to be up here. And that makes you tired. Yep. And you probably come up that bypass driving North thinking, golly. You probably are. I do that Sometimes. I ain't, I ain't going to put on the front. It makes me tired. It does. And it's made my spirit weary. It has. But when I walk in this building, it goes away for a little while. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. I know you are. Because I am. I know it's a grind. I know most of you are probably thinking, what's the point right now? Like What are we doing? Where are we going? Why haven't they said this? Why haven't they told us that? What's happening here? Blah, 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 blah. And it's tired and it's weary. We're no different. I stand on a platform and say words and you sit in a chair and you listen to the words, but we're no different. We're sinners saved by grace. This is me operating in my gift. And it's a gift that most of the time I wish I didn't have. I'm just being real. It makes me weary. Because it stretches me and it challenges every aspect of my DNA and who I am. Because I would rather be back there plugging on keys in a, in, in a sound booth or working in a room with somebody and doing something else. Like The intention is never to be in front of people. I don't like this from a flesh standpoint. And when I surrendered to it and I submitted to it, I didn't fully know what I was signing up for. I didn't. And it's been Labor. And it's been a grind I'll never forget the day I actually listened though I just listened and I didn't realize the totality of it and most days I live tired and weary most days and you do too if you're out here seeking Jesus if you're trying to live for Christ if you're trying to be who he called you to be and created you to be you're tired and weary too so why can't we just be honest with one another this morning we're tired and we're weary. We are. This church is tired and it's weary. And we've got a long way to go before he comes back. Now, don't get me wrong. We're in the end times. There's a lot of things that has to happen before he breaks forth from that eastward sky. A lot of things. Tired. There's going to be so many times in your life where you're going to have to work tired and weary. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you you want a donut, you can go buy Krispy Kreme after you leave. If you're going to do this and you're going to live this life for Christ and you're going to be what he created you to be, most of the time you're going to be tired and you're going to be weary. You are. You are. A lot of people, a lot of people like the idea of a boat ride, but few people want to build an ark. Very few people want to build an ark. There was 120 years from the beginning to the end of that project, and there was only a handful of people that got on that boat. There was only a handful of people that got on that boat. But in the end, Noah was glad that he labored. He was glad that he endured the tiredness and the weariness of the job. Because in doing so, he just didn't preserve himself but he preserved his family. That's what you're fighting for. That's what you're laboring for. That's what you're working for. That's it, that is it. Don't think about the branding, don't think about the signs, don't think about the buildings, don't think about any of that. Don't, don't think about the vision right now. Think about the family. That's what you're laboring for. If everybody in here went to work today, laboring for their family, those are the people that live within your influence, your reach, and your inspiration. It would change the world you live in. It would change the world you live in. And don't pay attention to the mockers. Don't pay attention to the backbiting. Don't pay attention to the people that don't believe it. Focus on what God gave you first, your first ministry, your family. Your family. Because if you start focusing there, it'll change this family. It'll change this family. When it was done, Noah could say, we did it. We did it. During that five-day period of reset, recharge, I wrote something in a journal, and I've only said it out loud a couple times. When I leave this earth, When God takes me and I stand before him, I wanna have more works that are refined by that fire than that are destroyed by that fire. Which means I have to stop investing time in wood, stubble, and hay. And be more about the precious metals and the stones. Which means lifestyle change for me. No more materialism, no more humanism. No more psychology. No more of this. No more of that. An earnest dependence on God for everything. A relentless pursuit that is constantly searching and seeking where his presence is. Where his presence is. Last point. Last point. Genesis 7, verses 1, 7, and 17 say this. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. I have not read King James English in a while, y'all. I'm stuttering, I'm sorry. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood, and the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. Last point's really simple. Somebody was listening, somebody was laboring, now somebody's leaving. Somebody was leaving. Noah and those on board the ark left judgment. They left the judgment through the safety of the ark. Like the few in Noah's day, are you one of the ones leaving in the last days? Are you leaving? Are you leaving? Because the entirety of creation stayed and a very small minority left. The ark Illustrates grace, salvation, and rapture. The ark's design was built like grace. As the judgment came down, the ark went up. As the water came down, the ark went up. Yep. It it went up. God literally instructed Noah to build something that would sit upon the judgment and be lifted above it. Yep. You know, sometimes when you're struggling. Sometimes when something's going on in your life and you can't get any resolution and you feel like you pray and your prayers are hitting the ceiling and it doesn't get through and God isn't listening because he's absent and he doesn't care, understand that he's probably waiting for you to construct something that's going to sit on the top of that thing so that he can raise you above it. Raise you above it. All the hope that I have, all the hope that I have is solely founded in Jesus. My hope for being lifted above the judgment and the wrath and the pouring out of God's righteous indignation on this creation is all in Jesus. it It can't be in anything else. Three questions, and I close. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you laboring? Are you laboring? Are you leaving? I'll leave you with this. Paul said something in 1 Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty eight. He said this, he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, I know that it's really easy to look around and get discouraged. I know that the world is a tough place and it's getting tougher by the day. So I would encourage you this morning, in the next few moments, if you're not listening, incline your ear. As the psalmist said, incline your ear. That means listen. If you're not listening, you come to this altar and say, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to hear. I'm ready to listen. I'm not just looking for a hashtag. I'm not looking for something for social media. I'm looking for something that's going to change the trajectory of my life and the trajectory of the life of the people around me. God, I've been sitting on the sidelines because I'm too afraid to step in because I feel like what I have to offer is not good enough. I feel like how could God use what I have? Then I would encourage you to come down here and say, Lord, I'm ready to go to work. I'm ready to labor. And I understand that it's gonna be hard. I will be tired. I will be weary, but I wanna see it through to the end. Don't be one of these people that comes down here in an emotional response. Says, Lord, I wanna do something for your kingdom. And then two weeks later, you're out there in that kingdom. Listening, laboring, and leaving. And if you're in this room and you're not sure, you're sitting here and you're going, am I leaving? Where am I going? What's going to happen? What's that look like again? I don't want to give you the comfort or the luxury of sitting in your seat and raising your hand. I want you to come to an altar. Jesus is pretty clear. He said, those that confess me. Mm, we make it too easy. And that's what creates the epidemic that we're in. We make it too easy for you to believe that you do this. And the reality is, is, it is not easy. It's going to challenge everything inside of you. It's going to push your limits and your borders to the max. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. There will be nights where you cry yourself to sleep. There will be nights where you pray till you pass out. There will be nights where you just stare at the ceiling and you wonder why. There will be. There will be listening, laboring, leaving. Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. It's not gonna be water the second time. It's not gonna be water. It'll be fire. It'll be fire. It'll be holy fire that cleanses and refines. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted each week on Tuesday.